Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, we're business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have our marketing and business coaches. We have the folks who help others create their businesses, and we have do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and in fact, many of the folks who tune in every single week are all of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Check out our iTunes channel as well. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us serve more business creators just like you. And when you subscribe, you will get fresh content every week, plus immediate access to our library of over 215 episodes on topics pertinent to business creators just like you on a variety of topics and tracks. You know, one of the first things that I learned as an entrepreneur when I went to MBA school and then I started doing all the business business networking thing is I remember having a conversation at uh, a meeting of what at the time was called the American Society for Training and Development, or ASTD. Well, they've changed their name and they're a different organization now, but that's what it was at the time. And I can still see in my mind's eye having a conversation with a woman And she said this phrase to me, you know, the only constant is, in fact, change. And that has stuck with me. I can't remember her name. I can't remember who she worked for. I can't remember why I had the conversation with her, but I can still see her face. I can see that expression as she said, you know, the only constant is change. And through the years, that's something I've held on to. That conversation happened about 15, maybe 16 years ago, but... I've always had an interest in things like project management and the fast-growing field known as change management. And to explore the topic of change, which is something that is very important to every business creator out, out there, because, again, there is no other constant but change when you think about it, I was very happy to have the opportunity to bring on board none other than the editor-in-chief of Change Management Review, Teresa Moulton, who's going to share with us on the do's and don'ts of leading change. Now, just to tell you a little bit about Teresa, and we'll call her Terry, with more than 20 years of consulting, executive coaching, and business building experience, Teresa Moulton brings practical insight to the real-world challenges and opportunities of working with and within business change. As editor-in-chief of Change Management Review, Teresa brings together professionals who work with organizational change both academic research and real-world practices through integrated global perspectives and more. Catalyzed by curiosity and the desire to help others, she passionately explores the globe in search of everything change management. And Teresa Moulton, jump on board. Come on in. The weather's fine. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. Absolutely, and it's it's awesome to have you. Uh, we you're somebody we've wanted to have on the show here for a while, and I know that we've had a little bit of an exciting journey uh, getting the bookings to match. But that's just life in the fast lane. So we're so happy to have you here. And what I'd like to do, 
just for our listeners who are currently in the process of getting to know who you are. Uh, we may have people who now have a separate browser tab open or looking up change management review or looking you up by name. We get a lot of feedback that people do that because they're trying to learn more about you and who they're going to be learning from over the next 50-some minutes. So what we'd like to do before we get into the main topic of today's uh, conversation, which is about the do's and don'ts of leading through change, if you could just tell us a little bit more about your personal journey and how you've arrived at this current intersection you're at of your brilliance and passion, serving business creators by helping them with their change journey. Sure. So what's interesting, at least uh, for me, is that my personal and professional journey have been very integrated, um, which is kind of going against what uh, typical business advice is, you know, keep your personal and your professional lives separate. But for me, I work on the premise of do what you love and love what you do. And when you work on that premise, Whatever you're doing, you love, so you really don't have work. And, you know, that's why my personal journey is aligned closely with my professional journey. And, you know, I started out, um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I started uh, out and with my own business at age 21, never had a job or worked for anyone else, and um, built a business and then ended up... uh, selling it, going through graduate school, and building a couple more uh, consulting training businesses, and then kind of landing in the change management review role that I'm in now, and I'm also looking at another business coming down the pike. And I think that, um, you know, helping serve business creators has been something that I just naturally do. So if I'm in a you know, a hair salon, getting my hair done, and someone wants to pop out and start their own salon, then I have a conversation with them about how to do that. If I'm at a restaurant and the owner comes over and starts talking to me about their marketing problems, then I start helping them. Um, So I've helped all different types of businesses from putting in health spas all the way through financial services um, businesses. And a lot of that happens with uh, doing what you love and loving what you do, which to me comes down to a, a basic uh, concept of, you know, dream big, have your vision, crystallize it, and then put legs on it so it can walk and actually turn into um, the results that you're looking for your vision to actually deliver. I love it. So to start off, to start off, you've been an advocate for the importance of business leaders having the ability to sell change management. And as you and I have discussed before um, in the green room before this this interview and also in some of our previous conversations, uh, you've told me there's some clarity needed on what we mean by selling change management. So if you could define our terms and tell us what we mean by selling change management and why it's important for business leaders to have the ability to do that. Sure. And Adam, before we go there, maybe it is helpful to actually define change management so people yes. understand it because it's an esoteric uh, term. And what it really means, whether you're in a small business or a large business, is it's change management is a set of work that goes in place to help uh, employees or associates or stakeholders, any stakeholder of a business, work in a new way. 
as a result of a of a change. So it, it could be a new product offering goes out and a company needs to realign the way their work gets done. They need to learn a new system. They need people not to be surprised about using a new system. They need to be trained up on doing the system. And then they have to feel confident in the leadership that's actually you know, leading them to use and deploy this new service. Um, in smaller businesses, it can come down to you know, three people leave the company and two people join the company and the culture changes on a small team. So, you know, now what do we do? Things really have changed. It's not the same the way that I work, the way that I get my work done. So what are the types of things that need to happen in order for everybody to come together and get on the same page? So there's communication work. There's some messaging work. There's probably some leadership coaching that goes on. And all of these different people-oriented uh, concepts and activities are considered change management. And it's, it's really the support that an organization needs to go from state A to state B, depending on whatever that business uh, shift in strategy might be. So that's change management. To your question right. specifically, um, you talked about, you know, the selling of change management. And one of the things that um, is really important is that change management, because it's actually an intangible uh, type of concept, even though there's real activities and tasks and deliverables associated with change management and getting that change management work done, the concept of, you know, what it is and how it actually delivers value can be, um, can be curious for some people in order to understand it. So it requires some conceptual selling and positioning of benefits so that um, people understand what they get when they use change management or employ change management to get work done. So, for example, after uh, using good change management practices, you know, you'll have higher, higher uh, rates of employee adoption. You'll have lower rates of resistance to the change. You'll have hopefully no surprises because the communication has been put in place in a way that makes sense to everybody and it comes to them through multiple channels. Um, there'll be people who are adept and ready to use the system and they understand, you know, how changes to the way they work actually will look in the in the new world that they're going to be working in. And they don't you know, they, they can accept that. So if you understand those types of benefits uh, as a result of change management, it helps them to say, well, what happens if you don't have change management? And that's why change management was actually created as a field because a lot of the projects or the, the people side of business, um, really, be, even though that's the soft stuff, they be, it became a hard obstacle. So, um, you know, learning how to kick off a new team, building a new system, um, even something simple as putting a new phone protocol in place. You want the person answering the phone to say, um, you know, something different than what the business has been saying before. That requires change management. So it doesn't have to be a big business thing. It could be a small business thing. But when you start to talk about um, why change management is important, um, it's important to also mix the benefits of change management in with the consequences of not changing. So if we're talking about, um, you know, moving people from, you know, making uh, memo pads to also making pencils, 
and then another team that's going to actually deploy pad of paper and the pencils, that's a whole different set of work from just making a pad of paper. And so if uh, people don't understand why they're doing that or they don't understand that the reason it has to be done is that the business will go out of business in six months, then they may not see a reason to change. They may want to still stay making memo pads and not add the pencil and then sell it as a as a combined product. So I think that that's really why change management exists and what, what it means to put a value proposition out there that speaks to the benefits of it and then making sure that people understand the consequences of not changing. And that messaging is also a part of the change management work. One thing that I've... Um, I've noticed in this field is that people make the mistake uh, with the analogy of the carrot and the stick, thinking that the carrot is the incentive and the stick is the punishment or consequence, when in fact the carrot is hanging in front of the horse off the stick. And so when you really think about this, the benefits and consequences of changes uh, in a business make communicating change real. If you're selling only the benefits of why people should change, People know that and it detracts from the credibility. And what you really need to do over time is make small promises and deliver on them uh, so that the people who are going through the change can begin to trust the process and trust the leadership. So if you're only selling the positives and you're not getting real around what won't change, um, you know, some of the drawbacks of the change and why they're important anyway, then you're really setting yourself up for you know, a, a failure in terms of getting to the future way of working without having a hiccup. You know, I think about what you've said, and that was such incredible information that you've given us about what change management really is. And I've spoken with folks who, when they hear the word change management, what immediately comes to the mind is what we need to do to fundamentally change uh, corporate culture after some scandal or um, in the wake of a merger or an acquisition. And mm -hmm. I, it's been my experience that while there is change management that are involved in those sort of things, and those are big changes, that a lot of the things that actually fall into the header of change management are actually relatively small and sometimes have an impact that outkick their initial coverage. But we don't put the label change management on it because it's just seen as, well, we're making a change, we're installing a new software, or we're going to do this process a little bit differently. Uh, but we don't consciously put the label change management on it. And I think in some ways we miss an opportunity because the foundation of change management and the principles of change management would make some of those smaller things go more smoothly and more effectively. Yeah, and you know, Adam, you're right, and I think one thing that is helpful is to really, you know, understand what the components of change management work are. So, for example, there are five. One is training. So, to your point, if people need to learn to work in a new way, then there's a training program that has to be designed, developed, and implemented, and that has to match with the second component of change management, which is communication. So, you know, like you said, it may not seem like a big thing, but having the right message at the right time to the right people to help people um, buy into and get on board with the change is critical. And those messages have to line up with what's being communicated in training. 
And then the third part about change management work is the fact that we have sponsors. So we have the leadership of the of the organization. And whatever they're saying, they're setting expectations for the organization and the training and communications have to back that up. Um, and then there's employee engagement. How do we get the organization really involved so that people can, um, you know, be a part of the change versus having it happen to them? And those four components need to um, completely line up. And then the fifth, the fifth part, which I I put in there is um, organizational design and development. And sometimes when you're making a change, like learning a new system, somebody's role may change. You know, maybe one transaction in customer service doesn't have to be done by the customer service rep anymore. Instead, it's going to be done by bookkeeping. So when you have, you know, changes in roles and things like that, you know, we really need to be clear about um, what's going on with uh, employee, employee perception of value and how they understand their job. So that could be a change in a job description, which therefore right. requires change management. So it's, it's, um, it's interesting. You know, at, at some point, you, you sit back and say, well, what constitutes a change? You know, what's really a change? Well, in small companies, sometimes learning, you know, having people get on board with learning Microsoft Office and becoming advanced at PowerPoint is a change. Maybe they were using Keynote and Apple or something like that. That's still a change, and it still impacts how fast people can put their presentations together and how well they can use the system to get the results that the leader of the business is looking for. Yeah. You know, uh, and the more I think about this, the more I recognize that one of my, my own earliest experiences with change management didn't even have that name on it. I'm thinking back to about uh, 14 years ago when I worked in the contracting department for what's known as, be, as a behavioral care managed, excuse me, a behavioral health managed care organization or a BIMCO. And mm -hmm. one of the contracts that this company held was to manage Medicaid contracts on behalf of the state. Uh, which mm -hmm. involved uh, which involved the payments of uh, mental health services and behavioral health services for people on welfare, just to use very simple terminology. So my so half of my specific job was to oversee renewals of network contracts with individual practitioners like psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, etc. The other half was to use all of my powers of persuasion to work with inpatient mental health units out of state. Uh, who were not in the network, to uh, approach them to negotiate rates, but then tell them that Pennsylvania would only give them $577.50 a day and use all my powers of persuasion to get them to try and uh, accept that. So one of the roles that I had with respect to the latter was for the people in the care management department, the people who authorized the care and the people who worked with the providers to continue authorizations, uh, had to get me the information so that we could begin the process of reaching out to the out-of-state provider, the out-of-state uh, mental health unit. And uh, when I came into the position, it was done very chaotically. Um, it was done on paper. There were five different versions of the form out there. Um, half the time I was having to go back to them just to ask for basic information. And this wasn't really hard. Patient name, patient's ID, um, code of service, code of service authorized. That's really all they had to give me. But 
just because of the problems of the system and all the disparities. So with the support of the leadership of the division that I worked in, uh, I made the very simple change and helped implement the very simple change of having them fill out a Word template, a Microsoft Word template, to save as, and then email that to me internally through the secure email system. And uh, what was nice about it is the majority of people loved it because now they didn't have to go to the printer. They didn't have to find the form. All they had to do was type in a few very simple things that walked them through. Uh, I even designed a template so that the tab thing worked. So after you filled in a blank, it would skip to the next one so you could fill it out real quick. And what this did is it enabled us to get those uh, contracts processed in a much more timely fashion bringing us into compliance with the requirements of the contract that uh, the state had with the Department of Health, because uh, there was actually requirements on how soon you had to do that outreach. And uh, it also meant that these weren't getting lost anymore, because you know how it is when you have paper floating around an office that has 300 employees. Things don't always make it to the correct inbox. Or, and especially okay. when you have five different versions of the form going around, Something may up, end up in the inbox, but you don't even recognize it. So, uh, what I, so what I encountered at the time was the way this apparently was communicated from, you know, from senior management or upper level management to the care management department was, well, this is how we're this is how we're going to do it. And they also, you know, said, you know, these are the benefits to use. We have one standard form. Uh, we're going to save paper, so we're environmentally conscious. Um, it's something that takes you one-third of the time that it used to take and what have you. Uh, another thing that I think really helped this go through is when I first moved into that position, I knew that I was going to have a lot of dealings with care management because of that aspect of my role. So I started spending time over in care management getting to know people. Uh, to my boss's boss, who I think was brilliant in her own way, but lacked certain basic perception. You'd have to work for her to understand what I mean by that. Um, that translated into me being lazy, listless, and roaming around the halls for no purpose all the time. Uh, mm. No, I was over in I was over in the care management department. I was over in the finance department. Uh, I one of those types of people that I don't sit in my cubicle and wait for them to ring my extension. I get up and I go see them face-to-face. -face. Uh, there was just no connection with I had a different style when it came to that. And it's my belief, looking back on this all these years later, that part of the reason that uh, this initiative worked so successfully and was able to be implemented with few or no hiccups is because people saw me behind it and knew I was a cool guy that liked to have fun, basically. So if mm -hmm. I, this was my idea, it was something that they'd be willing to at least jump onto for laughs. And then once they discover that, now, oh, wow, this does make my life easier. I don't have to worry about which form to use. I don't have to, I don't have to print anything. So I'm helping the environment, which was a big deal for this company. Very big on environmental consciousness. So I was able to tap into that. And uh, they don't even have to get up out of their chair because mm -hmm. in, the, in a care management role, you, you had to be logged in, so you were verified as being online, able to accept incoming calls. So it's very hard for them to get to a printer when they have to be logged in. Mm. Interesting. But I, didn't, but I didn't know the term change management at that time. 
And I'm, you know, and from what I've learned about change management since then, I can think of ways we could have done it even more effectively. But because we didn't understand the discipline and because we didn't understand the principles behind it, I think there might have been some missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So from your work, Terry, uh, what are some examples of organizational change that you've seen um, apply to smaller businesses? Uh, a lot of the listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show are entrepreneurs who own businesses with uh, two to ten employees and revenues of a quarter million and up, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. So what mm-hmm. are some examples of change you've seen in those types of environments? Mm. So um, one example that I have is a CFO um, of a small company uh, basically had a team of six people who worked together for quite a few years, say five years. And um, he kept having his weekly team meetings and asked the team questions and no one would answer and no one would talk to each other. And he went on for about six to eight months like this. And then finally, well, I actually bumped into him in a buffet line at my alma mater, Boston College, and he said, no one's talking at my team meeting. It's driving me crazy. I don't know what to do. And I have no idea how to fix this. And, um, you know, and I said, well, why don't I come in and talk to the team and just interview them individually, see what's going on, blah, blah, blah. So I did that. And what happened was they, it turned out that people didn't trust each other because there was some confusion on roles and responsibilities. I guess a new person had joined the team and started doing some of the work that somebody else had been doing, and there wasn't a clear... Uh, communication about that from the leader um, in that case. And then there was a lot of concern and confusion about what is going to happen with budget cuts. And so everybody was, you know, kind of heads down just doing their work because they wanted to um, keep their job and they didn't want, you know, to be the person that, you know, raised any issues or questions uh, at the team meeting. So it was more like a culture of compliance had occurred. And so the change management approach there had to do a lot with team development and leadership coaching. Um, and in addition, it had to do with um, individual uh, coaching so that people, you know, really got comfortable uh, understanding what their core concerns were and then um, had a better a better approach for talking to leadership about that. So that's an example of, really the people stuff of a change happening, lots of little changes in terms of new roles and responsibilities, and they had been left alone for six months, so there was time for these um, feelings to build up. And then just everybody not understanding, you know, why why the budget cuts were happening and how far they're going to go and what that means to them. That's a good lesson right there. When a change happens, the first natural thing for us as human beings to do is to start dialing up channel WIFFM, what's in it for me, and um, start thinking through, you know, what are the implications of this change for me, whether it's changing a form that may increase my workload 25 minutes a day or it's... um, not doing some work that you normally do and worrying about whether you're still useful to the business. Um, all of this stuff goes through people's minds, and if, if it's left alone, then the change is not managed. So that's an example just for a small company and team. Uh, another one is 
a lead a lead entrepreneur or founder of a company has the need to make everyone happy despite the business needing to shift from offering one service to another to meet its customer needs. And so the market changed on this business pretty pretty abruptly, but it was because they were a small business, they were able to have the agility to move with it. So the entrepreneur did a great job looking out at the market and saying, you know what, we really need to shift um, from what we're doing to this new service delivery so that we can retain our market share. And so um, that that lead entrepreneur uh, spun that message um, and didn't address the consequences of what could happen if it do, if it didn't occur. And so people on the, in the, the small company, it was like a company of 12 people, um, started looking for jobs because they didn't have the confidence that the business will survive the change even though they quote-unquote liked the founder. And the founder wanted to be liked, so they were almost treating the business uh, too personally and taking care of employees or colleagues versus actually keeping the boundary in place and talking about roles and what would happen to the work and, you know, what's going to change. And then the other thing that happened there was uh, two new team members start with, started with the company, and they don't understand why people are hush-hush when they're in the room. So these two new people start. The old team doesn't say much to them. The conversations stop when they walk in the room. And, you know, the lead entrepreneur is just busy trying to make the two new team members happy. So from a change management perspective, there was some work to do with the leader on setting expectations appropriately with the team, um, communication messaging from a leadership perspective, you know, again, uh, talking about conceptual selling and, and making sure there's a balance between the benefits and the consequences and clarity about what will change and what won't change. Um, talking to the people who are looking for jobs and getting clear about, you know, why are they looking for a job, what's not happening here, how can we make that work for you, um, you know, and really helping them understand how they can plug into the new change so they can see there's a place for them in the company. And then new members really understanding uh, the leader working with them to really understand um, how it feels to be new to this group and doing some team development work so that they become part of the team faster. So those are two examples of organizational change for really small businesses. Yeah, and you know, uh, I've done so much work myself and so many of my colleagues uh, recognize challenges when it comes to things like meetings. Uh, I've moved into so many organizations over the years. Uh, some of them have regularly scheduled team meetings or work group meetings, and some of them don't. For the ones mm-hmm. that do, what I found with these meetings, that uh, a lot of them just a lot of blah, 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 and then people wonder why we hate meetings. So mm-hmm. one of the changes that I typically recommend, and I've been very happy to have over a 90% success rate with adoption of this, is to have everybody who's a regular attendee of the meeting, especially if it's like a, a weekly status update type meeting, uh, pre-submit to the group the following information. Uh, that would be what they have done since the last meeting, what they have on their agenda, and what support they're looking for from the group in addition to uh, what ideas they have for moving the organization or the group forward. Uh, the first, or one of the first times I implemented this is when I was the president of uh, 
the chapter of a professional organization, and I had already been on the board for three years. And uh, these board meetings, uh, think about uh, when I say board, I'm not spelling it B-O-A-R-D. They were supposed to run an hour and a half, but after two and a half hours of people just uh, really taking up oxygen, talking and talking and talking to create this impression that their own department was doing so much. Uh, one of my first implementations was, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. Uh, before we, well, 48 hours before we have the meeting, uh, submit to the entire group using the, uh, the board listserv uh, what, you, uh, what you currently have on your plate, uh, what questions you have, uh, what support you need from the group, and what ideas you have to move the chapter forward. There were seven people on the board. Four of them submitted their summaries. So we had the first meeting. Um, I did reach out to the ones that did not submit their summaries, and one of them said, well, I have nothing to say, and then another said, well, I'd rather just give an oral report and all that. And so I thought, you know, I could argue with these people. We could do this another way. Uh, so had the board meeting, went around to the four people that had submitted their status reports, um, opened up the floor for their discussion points, their questions, and their ideas for the organization, and then as soon as we got done with the fourth one, even though there were still 20 minutes left, I said, guys, this has been an awesome meeting. Adjourned. See you next month. So you can imagine three people were a little bit unhappy. And mm -hmm. so my answer was very simple. No, you know, you know, no invective or wanting to you know, say nye, nye or anything like that. I just said simply, well, you said you had nothing to report. Uh, you said you wanted to give the report orally, but we're doing written reports. And uh, and you never got back to me when I asked when your report was. So between the three of you, I had to assume you had nothing to say, and there was no reason to just drag out the meeting. Well, behind my back, they called me some interesting names that I found out about later. Uh, <laughs> well, let's not get into that. But what did happen was I never again for the rest of my term had to ask anybody for their summary. In fact, Two of the people who were most resistant to doing it originally went completely in the opposite direction to the point where they were submitting their reports to me even earlier in advance, asking me to review them before they gave them to the group. One gave me a report that looked more like a business proposal. I said, no, 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 no. Uh, bullet points in an email are fine. But here's how I got through them. As I said, this is because we're all very busy professionals. We all have jobs to run businesses. This is something we make time to do once a month, and we have a lot of things happening here. We want everybody to have a chance to be heard. We want to get these meetings done on time, and we don't want to waste time at all. So by participating in this process, it allows, us, it allows for these meetings to be more productive, and I'll say it, more fun. And that's how I got through them. Great. That was my that was my thought. I know. Just when you give these examples, it, it like just inspires me because I love this topic so much. So sure. moving on, yeah. So moving on um, to the progression of change management in the organization. You know, what can one? What are some things that you might see from employees or team members that should concern you while you're leading a change effort, regardless of the size of that effort? Yeah, that's a great question, Adam. You know, one of the things that I help my clients look for are you know, more frequent missed days of work, um, working through lunch on a regular basis, uh, heads down, okay. just skipping lunch breaks, 
increase in water cooler talk, so people in the kitchen and at the soda machines or whatever taking more time out of every hour to see what's going on in the gossip of the organization. You might see people exhibit signs of anxiety, and you might see more people doing job searches. Um, so those are some of the things that you might see that should concern you during a change effort. Oh, so some of those things that um, that a person not digging deeper or looking at the surface might say, well, they're never at their desk when I try and call them. They're just roaming the halls, gabbing, and they're not doing any work, like was said about me, which was completely the opposite of truth. Right, and I think, you know, it's important also when you have this, when you're talking about this topic is that there's a curve of change acceptance, and it starts with awareness, and everyone goes through you know, a cycle similar to this, that it becomes awareness and, uh, okay, we're changing. And then there, people start asking, well, what's in it for me or what's going to happen to me? And the curve dips in terms of the productivity curve dips because people are, you know, self-focused and concerned. And then when they get more information, that's when the change team or the leader needs to intervene, provide more information, provide context so that people can see how they fit into the bigger picture. Um, they start to pop out and they, they get more educated about the change. And then they start to require more information and they get curious about the change. And then they get training and they learn how to do the work in the new world. And then they live in that new world for a while and they go from acceptance to owning the fact that this is how we work today. So when you think of the high-level phases of that curve and you look at some of these um, symptoms of, uh, you know, people during a, a change effort, these are typically symptoms of people being in the self-concern part of the curve and the dip because they're trying to cope with how they're perceiving and understanding the change to impact them. And they could be right or wrong, but they haven't yet gotten any support in terms of providing them with context and information so that they can, you know, not suffer through their own, you know, self-perception of what's happening. Right. Uh, that, you know, the ability to deal with certainty is something that a lot of human beings struggle with. And there are folks out there who would rather hear bad news that's concrete because then at least they know what's happening. Uh, right. That even if they find out that the news is, well, we're actually about to file Chapter 7 bankruptcy and we're going to be shutting the lights out, instead of being in fear, now they say, <sighs> okay, now it's out in the open, so I know my next step is I've got to go find me another job. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah, funny how just, so it's funny how just making people aware of what's really going on can make something like knowing they're about to lose their job a form of relief when you want to look at it that way. Yeah, and it's tough for the change leaders, too, because if things like that are realities, then they're bound by certain legal, uh, you know, non-disclosures. They're bound by right. HR laws, you know, different things that um, prevent them from disclosing the whole enchilada at once. And then the employees resent that because they don't understand that there are, you know, some things that just can't be said at the, at all at once or at the beginning of a of a change scenario, depending on what it is. Yeah, that, that can be pretty challenging. So how do you tell somebody that you can't tell them something? <laughs> well, I, you know, it's a, good, it's a good point, and it's often a question that middle management gets 
off a lot, you know, because they're the ones with the relationship to the employee or the contractor, and then they have to manage up to the senior manager, and the senior manager is saying, listen, and the reality is we're going to have, you know, a layoff in 90 days, but you can't tell people because, you know, we don't have the whole HR package in place yet. And so employees then ask that manager, are we going to be laid off? Are we going to be laid off? And the manager has to do their job and balance that with their value system, and they have to hold the company line and, and say, you know, um, we don't have all the information yet. There is going to be some change, but as soon as I know, you'll know. And that's about as close as they can come to disclosing um, the information that they've been told. So a lot of people have uh, that's where a lot of anxiety comes from, a lot of tension, a lot of strain, you know, because they have the personal and professional relationships with the people asking the questions, but the company is, you know, disallowing them from, you know, really answering them fully. Yeah, and, you know, uh, even saying that, uh, I'm just try- I just try to put myself in the perspective of somebody who would be on the receiving end of that message. Uh, just mm-hmm. leveling with someone like that, uh, may not necessarily completely alleviate their concerns, but at least right. give them a framework to know that, yeah, well, if they are saying there's stuff that they can't share with me yet and they're telling me that uh, there are legal and, and other responsibilities they have, yeah, this could be serious. So mm-hmm. now that I know we could be heading into a dark tunnel, let me uh, check up on my resume. It might be time for me to start looking around. I might want to check in on the finances and things like that. So at least it gives a certainty in the sense of uh, this would be the time to emphasize preparedness. Right. Which is yeah. better than wondering what the heck's going on. Right. Yeah. Uh, is there anything we need to think of in terms of considerations of the supplying to virtual teams? And contractors, because we know that's a different animal than uh, than employees, and especially in businesses like uh, the one you're in, the one I'm in, the one of our a lot of our listeners in, where it may we may work with somebody for a year before we met them in person. I mean, I know for a fact that you know from what you know what you and I you know do together, there's people you've worked with for over a year you've never met in person and may never do so. So right. uh, and these are not even your employees. They're virtual team members or contractors. I uh, mm-hmm. have I have somebody who's a contractor for my business um, who's worked with us since 2006, and it was only last fall that I finally met her in person. Mm. My company's yeah, given well, her over the years over $100,000, and she's been involved in over 100 of our projects, but it was 10 years before I met her in person. So there are definitely considerations for change yeah. when it comes to people at that distance. So what do we need to look out for there? Well, I think now you're looking at silence, you know, longer longer periods of silence, um, you know, different patterns of communication with email. Um, you know, there's not the same kind of rhythm there. It's, uh, you know, either less frequent or more frequent. And also rescheduling and missing virtual meetings is, I think, something that's a reality. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that uh, when people suddenly become less punctual for meetings and responses, and it becomes a trend. I mean, yeah, everybody occasionally uh, misses a meeting because it falls off the calendar or they didn't know they were actually supposed to be there. Uh, They thought it was optional or they weren't needed or, hey, once in a while we just sleep in. 
I mean, uh-huh. but, uh, but uh, so you expect a few of those from people maybe in a year's time. But uh-huh. when it becomes more consistent with that person, where it seems like they're suddenly a lot harder to get on the line, especially if there's somebody, you know, I mean, I use myself in, as an example for this. Um, I don't take a whole lot of unscheduled phone calls except from people who pay me. So uh-huh. uh, somebody, somebody off the transom, who wants to speak with me about the potential of doing business or something like that, uh, they know to go with go to schedulewithadam.com, book themselves in for a time, tell me what they want, and I'll show up. Uh, uh-huh. For clients, for clients, uh, you know, uh, who pay retainers and things like that, uh, depending on what level they're at, usually they have at minimum my private uh, phone extension, so they can really just call any time. And uh, the lucky ones, or the ones that invested the highest levels, have my Skype ID and can you know, type, hey, got a sec, whenever they see the green light. Uh, now, if I suddenly notice, if I have somebody who gives that level of accessibility and suddenly I notice that, wow, their responsiveness has dropped off by 75%, I guess what you're saying is I might look at that as an indicator that they've kind of become a little less engaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what would be so, uh, Yeah. So, what do you do in that situation, uh, both in terms of dealing with them and in dealing with the larger issues associated with uh, virtual people being disengaged? Because just like you can terminate their contract at pretty much any time within the terms, whether it's a five-day notice or a thirty-day notice or what have you, without the same ramifications of a W two employee, uh, they can also just say you know what, um, I'm not going to renew their contract, so I'm going to phone it in for the next 11 days until the next, expe- until, until the next expiration. Mm. Well, you know, typically the best thing is communication. So taking the time to reach out to them and having that honest conversation, you know, what's going on, um, you know, giving them the observ- your observations. You know, I've, I've noticed that you're not communicating as often or as frequently as, you know, we normally did. I feel a different in the a difference in the pace. You know, I haven't heard as much from you. I just want to make sure, check in with you, make sure that um, you know we're still on the same page and things are working out for you the way that we designed it up to work up front. And you know, give them that time to talk to you. And you know, if they say no, it's really not, and yada yada yada, then you know you have an opportunity to say, well. Uh, is this something that you're, you know, committed to changing or is this something that um, we can work on together to redefine what the target is? And uh, you kind of go from for it from that perspective. But you can't do anything without communication. Right, right. So that's the foundation. Now, as a mm-hmm. business uh, change, yeah, now as a business changes, shape and expands, and i got to say, this is a really fast-paced interview, and I'm loving this. I can't believe we're already 45 minutes into it. Is the business, <laughs> yeah, I know, 15 minutes left, yay. As the business changes, shape, and expands, how do you encourage your employees and team members to embrace the change and support the organization through change? You know, we've spoken about communication. We've spoken about being as candid as you can be. But as we have those changes of shape and expansion, uh, what yeah, what do we do to encourage them to embrace it and love it? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it comes down to uh, frequency of communication and the messaging itself. So as a leader of a business, you know, you have to be honest. 
Um, so you want to be honest. You want to share reality when possible, not all the time. You know, there are some need-to-know basis only communications that only you can uh, be privy to. But you want to share reality when possible, and you always want to provide the big picture or context for what's going on so that it fits into the normal cycle of how businesses change and grow. So, for example, um, if you know that uh, you're going to, not going to make your numbers for the end of Q2, and um, that's going to potentially, you know, inhibit your ability to keep the business going uh, at the same rate for Q3 and Q4. Then, you know, you need to say you need to have that conversation. And say, hey guys, you know, the business hasn't hasn't made its numbers. It does put pressure on us financially. Um, right. What kind of changes can we make in order to, you know, move this forward? Instead of the business hasn't made its made its numbers, and um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna just keep plowing forward, and hopefully it'll get better, you know, um, later. And so, providing the context uh, of why the business didn't make its numbers, what, and then engaging them in a conversation about how can we make its numbers is the better leadership move to make. Um, one of the things you don't want to do is you don't want to overemphasize or underemphasize the truth because people know it and they look for the alignment of what you say and do relative to the state of the business situation. So if instead you came to that call and you said, you know, we didn't make our numbers for Q1 and Q2, but that's okay. I think it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Uh, let's just keep doing what we're doing for Q3 and Q4, people are going to say, okay, well, that's a mixed message because that means basically what we're doing isn't working, but we're still going to do it, so I don't feel secure. And what am I supposed to do? I want to help the company so we can all be secure. You know, it's just confusion in the way that that comes around. Yeah, because even if in a situation where maybe we miss the numbers on Q1 and Q2, but we're very confident that we're playing a long game strategy that just needs more time to play out in which mm-hmm. in the way you just phrased it, I didn't hear that message. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would be open to a message where it says, yeah, I know we missed Q1 and Q2, but let me show you some of these other indicators that show that this, this strategy we agreed on at the end of last year is going to get us to our target. This is going to be more like the tortoise versus the tortoise versus the hare and the, the tortoise's game in gaining speed here. So let me show you how uh-huh. this works and why staying the course has gotten us on the cusp of the results uh-huh. we're looking for. Then I can buy into let's keep doing what we're doing because now uh-huh. I see that we're on the right path versus, well, our numbers are way off, but let's just keep on rolling like we are and throw pasta uh-huh. at the wall and see what happens. That's not a very uh-huh. inspiring by any stretch of the imagination. Right, right. Yeah, so uh, – so as we uh, get closer to the point we're going to sum up here, um, what do you um, see as being a basic or valuable list of do's and don'ts that our audience can use for leading through change? And let me just remind everybody, be sure to subscribe to iTunes so you can go back and download this episode so you can listen to it again and again and again because what Teresa here has given you is some very, very important stuff when it comes to change management as well as communication within your organization, it's going to lead you to a much more effective and fun business. So what are some of these do's and don'ts, just so we can cap it off real nice? Yeah, so Adam, um, I've got a few of each here. So 
things that you do want to do, um, you do want to be honest. You do want to communicate and over-communicate. Um, and so if you're leading the change and you feel like, oh, my gosh, I've already told them this four or five times, then you need to still communicate more because uh, people aren't able to take it in if their brain is what I call on change. So if your brain is on change, an individual is stuck in that self-concerned uh, part of that acceptance curve, and they're processing what's in it for me, how's it going to impact me, oh, my gosh, and, and they haven't moved out of that, they're not going to be able to take in any facts that you're giving them. So they're going to need to hear things over and over and over again as their brain on change starts to dissipate and there's more capacity in their brain to hear what's actually going on. So don't underestimate that piece. Um, do engage with people and ask for input and feedback no matter what type you receive. So it's important to demonstrate listening, um, you know, and that is a really hard thing to do because active listening has to be a situation where you are nodding, where you're giving the nonverbal cues that you're listening, you're playing back some of what they're saying, you're not talking over people, you're, you're demonstrating empathy. Um, that's really, really important. And I think that um, you do want to get people involved. You want to build opportunities for people to share their opinions and thoughts. So even if there isn't a meeting scheduled, the week, you know, you want to put an ad hoc meeting on the calendar and just say, hey, you know what, I just wanted to have a quick touch base with everybody. You know, I know we're going through some change right now. How's it going? How's it feeling? What do you need from me? in order to, you know, be more comfortable with what we're doing. And by the way, do you have any ideas that, that are on the table that we should be looking to take advantage of right now uh, to help with the change? So those are really my list of what to do. And in terms of, you know, what not to do or don't, don't talk over anyone. So one of the things that needs to happen here yeah, is... Yes, so you mean don't do this. Exactly. People <laughs> need to... People need to feel listened to and they need to know that they have their airspace because, as you know, some people process externally by talking and some people process internally. So you want to be able to give people the airspace they need. Don't, don't over-promise and under-deliver. That's probably one of the top reasons that changes fail is because people want to make people happy, so they over-promise and under-deliver. And that can be a real problem. Um, don't ignore nonverbal cues. So if people's body language are, is, more, is more closed, you're seeing some of those, hearing some of those, or seeing some of those concerns that we talked about in terms of people's behavior in your contractors or employees, you know, don't uh, ignore them because they build up over time. They need to be uh, opened up and dealt with. Don't assume that a small change impact to you is small to everybody else because it could be huge to someone else based on where they've been in previous changes with other companies um, yeah. and how they're interpreting what's in it for them. So it might seem like here's an example. One of my clients was uh, changing, was well, actually 13 different companies were coming together in a merger and acquisition. And basically one of the companies um, said that, that in order to re- uh, to optimize the the floor that they're all working on, they're going to reorganize where people sat on the floor. This is a big warehouse. And one employee came into the kitchen while I was in there and opened a bag of pre-washed lettuce and it exploded all over the kitchen. And I was like, oh my gosh, let me help you pick this up. 
And this woman just started crying, and she's like, I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, they're moving me to the other corner of the room. And I said, okay. And she said, I've been there for 15 years in that cube. I have neighbors, cube neighbors, and all my friends are going to be someplace else. It's breaking up the neighborhood. And I was like, oh, my head. So I thought it was a small move. She wasn't losing her job. You know, she's still going to do the same work. The same people are still going to be on the floor. But just changing her seating assignment caused her that amount of grief. So that's just an example of, you know, a small change that I might perceive as huge to someone else. Um, I think two more is really make time to connect with people personally. Walk around. Um, Or if it's a virtual meeting, ensure that five minutes of each call that you have with a virtual colleague is about that colleague's life and well-being, whatever that colleague wants to share. Um, But taking the time to really go slow to go fast on those calls, even if they're only a half an hour, um, that connection is what you need to really reinforce. And then lastly, don't design a change to the business on an island. So if you know there's a change coming up, and um, and you have to pull people in to discuss it, you know, make sure that if you're creating a small team or you're going to be talking to two out of those ten people, um, make sure that you, you know, once you get clear on, on what's changing, make sure you share that so that if people see the office doors are closed or something like that, they realize that there's a, a team working on, on this issue and it's not, that it's going to be designed on an island and then forced on everybody else once it's done. Right. Yeah, and I think that's a really great list. And, uh, you know, I just uh, it just makes me think so much. And also be aware of some cultural things. You know, we talk about moving cubicles and things like that. We only have two minutes left. I don't want to spend like ten seconds on this. Um, I'm thinking of Japanese culture where when you're moved to go sit by the window – that's a way of terminating you without actually firing you. So mm. depending on, so you have to look at somebody's cultural background, and it might not be something as obvious as you know that that we know from Japanese business culture. But there may be other cultures they may perceive some way you're communicating to them or some change you're making as perhaps an insult, perhaps something that means a lot more to them than you would think on the surface. So that would just be one final thing that I would add. To that list in terms of just having as much situational awareness as possible that if somebody's having a reaction that seems to way go beyond what you think you're you're speaking there's more than meets the eye in most cases mm-hmm. that's a great yeah. point right so uh we're actually right here at the top and i uh and i know that uh, you have a great resource for us i believe it's called embracing the selling role of a change manager Yes. Yeah. You want to tell us just a little bit about that? Sure. So that's a basic uh, free download that you can get on our website at changemanagementreview.com. And it really goes over um, a lot of the messaging and the key uh, approaches with tips and tools and techniques um, for how to actually position and, and sell change conceptually so that it makes sense to the people who are going to be going through it. Absolutely. Now I'll just give people the URL real quick. It's www.changemanagementreview.com forward slash selling skills. That's changemanagementreview.com forward slash selling skills. So 
Teresa Moulton of Change Management Review, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Thank you, Adam. I've really enjoyed myself. Thanks for having me on the show. As always, uh, for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.